I think that in our region, because it is really just kind of a more fundamentally conservative region, we have had a tendency to lead with the improve efficiency, improve operations, save money, economic message. But what has surprised me is that once we deliver that message and we begin to get people to understand that mitigating greenhouse gas emissions and adapting to climate change is actually a risk mitigation and a financial strategy for better financial resilience, that they very rapidly begin to adopt all of the other kind of co-benefits, if you want to call them that, of climate adaptation of mitigation. They gravitate to the public health benefits. They understand the ecological benefit. And there's even an element where people, I think, gravitate to the spiritual benefit of protecting ecosystems and loving the place that they're within and feeling a responsibility and a moral and ethical responsibility to protect it. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Hey everyone, welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is the second episode in a four-part series on climate adaptation. This is your host, Mike Hancox, with our guest co-host, Kate Meese, the Executive Director of the Local Government Commission, and our guests, Jonathan Parfrey, the Executive Director and Founder of Climate Resolve, and Steve Frisch, the President of the Sierra Business Council. Today, we're going to pick up the conversation from our last episode about how to effectively communicate climate change issues to diverse audiences. Great. I, I have a follow-up. So we're, we work with Eco America's Path to Positive Communities, and I know you have worked with them and have successfully had a declaration on climate action that was signed by a number of leaders in the region. You had a climate LA conference with more than 600 Los Angeles residents. Can you speak to the messages that you use that, that particularly resonated with community members? So on the subject of Path to Positive, there are various sectors that we're currently working to recruit. And these include public health, it includes uh, university leaders, it includes local government leaders. And the public, and when they hear from local government leaders, when they hear from people in health or in business, they identify with those tribes. They want to be part of those communities. And so the, the messaging that has been going out from these various communities it's been even more the messenger than it has actually been the message. It's a simple message that people are concerned, that it's something that they've elevated within their own institutions. They really care about it. And that simple communication from 
public health authorities, from local leaders, has actually been effective. What about you, Steve? Are you are you finding the same thing that it's more the messenger than the message? You're clearly in a very different political climate where the region tends to be a little more conservative. What what messengers work there? What messages resonate? I think that in our region, because it is really just kind of a more fundamentally conservative region, we have had a tendency to lead with the improve efficiency improve operations, save money, economic message. But what has surprised me is that once we deliver that message and we begin to get people to understand that mitigating greenhouse gas emissions and adapting to climate change is actually a risk mitigation and a financial strategy for better financial resilience, that they very rapidly begin to adopt all of the other kind of co-benefits, if you want to call them that, of climate adaptation of mitigation. They gravitate to the public health benefits. They understand the ecological benefit. And there's even an element where people, I think, gravitate to the spiritual benefit of protecting ecosystems and loving the place that they're within and feeling a responsibility and a moral and ethical responsibility to protect it. And, you know, the the interesting thing to me has been that although we have led with economy, almost everyone that we've led with economy to has has ended up in in kind of this environmental and almost spiritual spot where they're Mm -hmm. saying, we just want to do the right thing. And that's incredibly rewarding. It, It might take some time to get there. And we've used some very kind of particular techniques to try to get to that. One of the things that we've done that has been most successful is tying all of our program implementation really to trying to build local employment, local jobs, measuring the job creation from it. You mentioned that we manage a small business development center. We were, at the time we formed two and a half years ago, the only, to our knowledge, small business development center in the country with a triple bottom line mission with a mission to improve economy, environment, and community at the same time and to value them co-equally. So we have focused in on this job creation message and also on hiring local people and paying fair wages. And, And that concept that you can't really have ecological sustainability unless you have social sustainability at the same time and you care about being treated fairly and and getting paid fairly for what they do and and having the the benefits that are necessary to raise a family these are messages that have really resonated even in our relatively conservative region do you think we're getting to a place closer to a tipping point in especially in some of the more conservative regions like where you're at, Steve. I mean, I just look at the impacts that are so tangible that we're facing now, whether you talk about the fifth year of drought in California, you mentioned the 77 million trees that are dead now. We're in wildfire season, which doesn't seem to end anymore in California. Is this changing the conversation in your regions? I think it definitely has changed the conversation in the Sierra Nevada. I think the idea that the severity of the drought, maybe not the drought itself, but the severity, the length of time it's gone on, the impact is climate related and how dramatically that can change the landscapes of our region. And that fundamentally changes the economy of the region as well, has opened people's eyes to both the risk and to the point that they need to be a part of the solution. And 
I am noticing a dramatic culture shift, not just from that kind of relatively negative driver, but also the positive driver of younger people coming up in the system, becoming decision makers and community leaders, even in rural communities, who want to make a change. It's very, very encouraging. So here in Los Angeles, I do believe people go outside, they feel it's a hot day, and they go, wow, this must be climate change. And when we benefit from it during hot days, when people conflate and confuse weather and climate, it sort of yields a good result. But when it's a cold day, people will say, you know, maybe this disproves climate change. And, and climate by its nature is, is an abstraction. It is a, an average of 20 or 30 years of weather. By its nature, weather is, is very direct, it's experienced, it's understood, but climate is something a little bit more vague. There's a former president of the American Meteorological Society had the following sort of metaphor to distinguish between weather and climate. And he said that weather is your mood, you're sometimes up, you're sometimes down, you're sometimes a little misty. But climate is your personality. It's kind of the way that you are all the time. And I think it's a really apt metaphor because we need to get people to understand that it's the basic personality of the climate system that is changing uh, in our lifetime. And the weather events are interesting. They could be illustrative of of this broader change, but it's a much deeper and broader change that is taking place rather than just a, a few more hot days. If it were just a few more hot days, I think humanity could very nicely adjust to it. But there's a much deeper transformation at play right now, and and we have to help people get to understand that that abstract thought and. Weather can illustrate it, but weather in and of itself is not the example. Well, I think that brings up another really interesting kind of communication strategy as well that Jonathan kind of hit on here, which is that we are a business organization that believes the climate is changing and that that change represents an existential threat and also one of the greatest opportunities to change how we do business, to value nature and community in our economic systems. But we do not engage in what is essentially derivative debate over the science, quite frankly. That's not part of our communication strategy. What we bring to the table is a positive, proactive suite of programs that help us adapt to climate change and mitigate the impacts of climate change. And they give people a way to engage in that activity And we have faith that in the long run, by doing that, the mindset around kind of the polarized debate on climate will change. And we are seeing that happen. And I I think that's a really important strategy for people that are working at the scale that we're working at at a state the size of the state of California to really understand that making a positive, proactive difference, modeling the change ourselves is the single most important thing we can do. 
it occurs to me that, you know, we're presented with a challenge where you're looking at very complex science, you're wanting to boil it down to communicate to people where they're at on how it impacts them on a day-to-day basis. But Jonathan, you, you also raise this issue of, you know, we have a responsibility in our messaging and in our communications to be tied to the science and to really introduce the complexity in a way that meets people where they're at. So I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts on on how we can honor that, because, of course, we want to bring people along. We don't have endless time to do that. So how do we do that in a way that doesn't shortchange people from understanding the whole picture? Yeah, I don't think there's one single answer to that question. There are a number of very interesting decision support tools that have been created. There's the Cal Adapt website that has some really nice GIS functions. And I know there are other models out there. There's groups like Climate Central out of Princeton that is done some modeling, especially along coastlines, to to help people understand what sea level rise is and how that could be influential. And so I think one of the key audiences that we can get to would be decision makers. Another key audience would be leaders from various sectors. Uh, The public more broadly, it's always the thing that you don't think will be effective that communicates what climate change actually might mean for a community. So let me give you a very quick example. I interviewed the director of uh, the state of Maryland's environment program, and she was telling me they had a, a very thorough analysis of sea level rise in Chesapeake Bay and, and how uh, many of the roads would be flooded out or, or, or inundated occasionally. And, and they were looking at communicating this huge financial risk that they were facing in Maryland. And this was a few years ago. And I got to tell you, all the news since then has borne this out. There are some roads that are simply no longer available in the state of Maryland. But people kind of didn't care about that. But when they came out with the report that because of climate change, the bird, the oriole, is now no longer going to be in the state of Maryland, that it's being forced out and to move further north, well, that caught everyone's imagination. So there won't be an Oriole in Baltimore. And so people were very upset about that. So I think it's going to be the symbolic sort of things that tap into the popular culture that will suddenly be the key that fits into the lock that opens the minds of the the public more generally when it comes to climate effects. And it's sometimes difficult to predict, and which points to the need to engage the people in the creative arts, in, in advertising, uh, in marketing, in music, in, in art, in, and other endeavors to focus in on climate change and try to find new ways of, of expressing what we're actually facing. Because right now, we're approaching it in a very technocratic way. We're trying to influence policymakers so that we actually get some good products on the ground. But I think sometimes we leave the public out at our own risk. So in California, some of the climate bills that we want to see extending the California's climate policies are, are really under threat right now. And the public is seeing these battles playing out between environmentalists and the oil companies. 
and they kind of don't know where they fit in. They don't quite understand the issues, and it kind of falls to the advocacy community to be able to engage the public so that they can actually see what side of the debate that they should fall on. And I don't know if we've done an adequate job just yet. And I think that's sort of the the task ahead of us. Uh, Jonathan, I, I have an important question to ask you about the situation in Maryland. But unfortunately, we need to pick this conversation up next week because we are out of time for today. Thank you all for listening. And we look forward to continuing this conversation with you next week on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash infiniteearthradio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.